0: Each school just had a list of substitute teachers. There really was one that, I mean, it was a Google sheet, but they printed it out, right? And they would call these teachers in the morning, like you said, 6.30, 6 in the morning, and just hope that someone would reply. And it was interesting because I thought to myself, well, I know that actually even in public school districts, most substitute teachers are relying on waiting for that phone call. And here we were, and this was what, 2015, uh, 2014, and I was just like, why not text messages? Why not a mobile app? Um, and so that's where we kind of started was to say, well, I think we can just get the word out quicker.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Start Down. I'm your host, Mike Vicara. And you're probably asking yourself, what is The Start Down? Well, we all know the startup is a great idea or a business that maybe you're just getting going. But I wanna talk about what happens when you get to work. And that's what The Start Down is all about. We're going to bring great guests here for you on the show, people who have had massive success, people who are trying to build businesses, and I'm even going to share with you some of my own experiences. And I always say, this is a little bit like a buffet. Take what you need and leave the rest. So without further ado, let's head to the show. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Start Down. Appreciate you being here. We are we are well into 2021, uh, so if you're a regular listener, um, you know that this has been an interesting year to say the least. Um, if you are someone who's just discovered us and you've been watching, it is 2021, and I wonder what it's like when you're listening right now. So, uh, like we've been talking about though, uh, and we're kind of continuing on, coming off of FETC in Orlando uh, being virtual this year, obviously an educational conference uh being virtual because we know a lot of schools and teachers aren't traveling and we've been talking to a lot of great educational entrepreneurs um so i'm excited to continue to do that um and we have uh this guy's name i know i'm going to screw it up i think it's mike (laughs) we have mike (laughs) from you got it nailed it yeah nailed it there you go (laughs) um and mike and i were were talking a little bit before about our educational background which i'm excited to get into uh but mike why don't you uh introduce yourself because i say no one introduces themselves better than you do and tell us a little bit about swing education
0: Yeah, so I'm Mike. Uh, I started Spring Education about five and a half years ago. Um, We help schools and districts with substitute teachers. It's a pain point across the nation. And, um, you know, the reason we got into this is actually that I was a my background originally was in software engineering. And then I got kind of call it the ed reform bug. Um, I got super inspired by hearing a This American Life episode about the Harlem Children's Zone. Yep. And I ended up quitting my software engineering job to go take a job being head of instructional technology at a charter school. Love that. Did that for five years. And one of the things the charter school actually asked me for help with was substitute teachers and the logistics and coordination of substitute teachers. At that point, I ended up kind of getting two high school friends involved, volunteering basically to help me with my nonprofit work. And then they convinced me really that we should start a business together Um doing that. So um, it's been a lot of fun since then. We've grown. We work with 2,500 schools across the country and uh, are working with over 5,000
1: substitute teachers. Wow, that's awesome. Well, well, first off, thanks for taking the time out. I appreciate you being on. And uh, as you and I talked about before the show, um, I am a former substitute teacher myself. So I remember that, uh, you know, are you or aren't you going to work tomorrow? Are you going to get the call at 6 in the morning, you know, saying, come in. So, you know, what is it that you guys do? And I know a lot of schools and, and districts obviously have tried to find a good system or handle that internally. And, uh, you know, my wife's an elementary school teacher in a public school system. And she, uh, you know, when, when we had four kids, so you never know what would happen. Right. So she always yeah. has like that, that call in process. So what is it that you guys do that I know I know the problems? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys solving them. So,
0: you know, it was interesting because working at the charter school that I was at, um, there were, we had about 10 schools in San Jose at the time. And so each school just had a list of substitute teachers. There really was one that, I mean, it was a Google sheet, but they printed it out, right? And they would call these teachers in the morning, uh, like you said, 6.30, 6 in the morning, yep. and just hope that someone would reply. And it was interesting because I thought to myself, well, I know that actually even in public school districts, most substitute teachers are relying on waiting for that phone call. And here we were, and this was what, 2015, 2014. And I was just like, why not text messages? Why not a mobile app? Um, And so that's where we kind of started was to say, well, I think we can just get the word out quicker. Uh, There's gotta be a more efficient way to sort of contact a bunch of substitute teachers at the same time. And then from there, what we ended up doing was talking to a bunch of schools and districts about would this be helpful? And most schools and districts already had existing software that was doing that phone tree type software. And what they told us was, you know, what you're telling us is great and we would probably switch. But really the problem that we have is that there's just a shortage of people. So even if we were texting people, we think we still would have a problem anyway. And so what we did was then go get substitute teachers. So we started to recruit substitute teachers, background check them, screen them, handle all the payments. manage any kind of like issues that would come up and that's what we ended up basically providing along with kind of the software platform too but what we tried to do is actually what i i characterize it as paper success so we don't charge school districts a big upfront fee or anything like that what we're really doing is only charging when we're able to fill a job um and we've found a lot of success doing that
1: that's awesome and you know obviously uh the role of the substitute teacher, right? That, that a lot of people have a lot of different perceptions on that. For the students, it's a free day, or you know, yeah. um, it's you know, it, it's a path But a I movie. think you know, I mentioned for me, it was my gateway into education. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about the role of the substitute teacher and why they're so important, though. And it's not just like kind of a free day and how they keep education moving forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, we think of our mission largely as making sure that there is kind of continuity of learning for students and. Uh, I think people don't realize if a teacher is out 10, 15 days per school year, um, it's as much as like five to 10% of a student's time that they might spend with a substitute teacher. And so it's really critical that we get those substitute teachers prepared to make sure that there is that continuity of learning. And I think what we saw, especially early on was that there, the treatment of substitute teachers isn't very good, um, I don't know, Mike, what your experience was, but I oftentimes think of teachers. (laughs) Yeah, I oftentimes think of them as kind of the orphans of the teaching world. Like they don't really have a home. They might work for or with multiple school districts, none of which maybe particularly values them as individuals very highly. Um, Maybe there's individual, and I don't mean to make too broad of a generalization, there's definitely individuals within a school district that care about those people, but I don't know that the school districts typically do all that much to kind of take care of substitute teachers as a group. Um, and so we also felt like that that was something we could do. I mean, if I put myself in the shoes of a substitute teacher, which I I also subbed for one or two days during my my time working for the charter school. And, and it's an interesting experience. I mean, I knew the staff on campus, but I could easily imagine walking onto a high school campus, a total stranger to the what 1200 to 1500 humans yep. that are on that campus and you might have an experience that's not perfect. And who do you even tell? Um, You wanna make sure you get work. You don't wanna be seen as being whiny or complainy. And so maybe you just keep your mouth shut when really we're all trying to make that system better, that school better and providing feedback is a good thing. Um, And so we also try and facilitate that and kind of like make sure that substitute teachers know what to expect when they go to a school. Things as simple as, is there a microwave and a refrigerator that they can put their lunch in and heat it up in when they get there? Um, What is the Wi-Fi password? So you're not scrambling, you know, the bell rings and you're like running to the neighboring classroom to say, hey, how do I get on the Internet here? Um, So getting those kinds of things out of the way, I think, really helps make sure, again, that there's that continuity of learning.
1: So then when you look at, you know, obviously you guys have brought in a better system, better communication, better all around, you know, share with me maybe a success story. Where's someplace where you guys have gone in and they've just been like, wow, like, like you changed substitute teaching for us.
0: Yeah. One of the um, earliest school districts that we started working with. Uh, so we're based in the Bay Area in California yeah. was Ravenswood School District in East Palo Alto. Um, They were one of the first school districts that we started working with. And so we've had a five plus year relationship with them now. And what they basically saw was that we were able to increase their fill rates and, and we were able to do that for them in a way where it required less and less of the district's time to keep even that going. So whereas in a normal kind of school year without swing, they would have to be also doing this perpetual recruiting and managing of substitute teachers, we started to take that on. And it got to the point where actually they only had, uh, I believe, less than a dozen of their own substitute teachers at that point. And everything else was being done through us. This was like over a four-year period. We never really pushed them on it. We we tried to be pretty... um, I don't know, we, we try not to be overly aggressive in, in sales. Um, I don't know if that's right or wrong. <laughs> maybe we maybe we should be more aggressive from a business standpoint. But that was kind of the tactic that we took was, look, like, we will just every day grind it out and show you value. Yep. And I think eventually they ended up saying this, this over this last school year in summer. Hey, why don't you just take over the few substitute teachers that we have? And we just won't really manage this process anymore. I mean, you guys uh-huh. will be our point of contact and we'll we'll do it. Um, and it's been super fun. Uh, and over the summer, actually, we we tried to do, uh, pivot to kind of doing learning pods. Mm-hmm. So we ended up also helping that school district this school year with, um, well, with their the foundation, uh, the 49ers Foundation works with that school district really closely. And so we work with the 49ers Foundation to provide um, in-person supervision for the kids is distance learning for the high need kids. Um, yeah. And we've been super proud of that work, too. And that uh-huh. was through building that trust and relationship with that school district. So it's been very fulfilling.
1: So I'm sure, too, and, and uh, not to, to go down the cliche train, but COVID's changed your industry. I'm sure we know COVID's had a big impact on education nationwide, especially you guys in California there. Um, I know dealing with a lot with lockdowns and things like that. And I'm in Florida. It's been interesting here. Uh, but we know yeah. teachers, I, I think, especially with COVID, had the biggest, I would say one of the biggest impact because they were, you know, called back into the classroom and, you know, different issues that have gone along with that. We don't have to dig of that. But how has COVID affected the substitute teaching that you're seeing and more importantly, your your business model and the way you guys approach things?
0: So it varies a lot state to state. Um, we do the majority of our business here in California, but, but we also work in Arizona, Texas, New Jersey, Washington, D.C., in Chicago. And, um, you know, it's been fascinating. So here in California, where the vast majority of schools are in mainly distance learning mode, I would say they actually don't need a lot of substitute teachers. So that's been pretty tough mm-hmm. for us uh, from a revenue standpoint. Right. In other states like Texas, where the schools have largely been open, um, I would say, you know, our substitute teachers there and in Arizona feel a lot of the same fears that you might hear being expressed by the kind of full-time teachers or teachers unions even, which is that I think I have a lot of empathy for, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't want to go back to the office right now. Our our kind of corporate employees are working remotely and I I would have the same fear. So I'm empathetic to it. Um, It's interesting because I still also as a parent, definitely think of schools as being much more of an essential service than bars (laughs) and indoor dining. Yes. so, you know, I, I have a torn kind of mixed emotions on, on everything that's going on, too. But yeah, it's had a pretty big impact on our business. And I think our main mandate is to try and take care of everyone that's a stakeholder in what we do. And that includes school districts, teachers and substitute teachers. Um, so what we've done is try and make sure that school districts understand what kind of policies our substitute teachers would care about. Um, that primarily comes down to kind of masks and I'll call it best effort, social distancing. I know that social distancing is very difficult in a school Mm -hmm. environment. So I don't, I don't mean to say that schools have to keep everybody six feet apart. Yeah. Um, but the more you can do, the more helpful it is. And I think the data basically shows that teachers should by and large feel safe, um, or as safe as they possibly can be if those kind of things are being enforced. And if they're not. You know we try and pass that information on to our substitute teachers so that they can make the best decision for themselves some substitute teachers are fine with it and others you know feel feel anxious about it
1: yeah it's tough and and like i said i don't think we'll see the answer anytime soon but you know and i know um it's interesting because i think it's created if, if you think of and i love your story right being an educator you know working in, in the charter school at the it level then seeing a need and going and starting a business right i think such a great story. And I think the the educational companies that I think you really see thriving always start like that as a teacher from a classroom. It's an insider um, making something happen. And I know with COVID, there's a lot of teachers that you know maybe didn't feel comfortable going back and have left or because of low enrollment yeah. in the buildings. You know, maybe they're losing their jobs, but this could be the opportunity for them, right, to become an, an educational entrepreneur and, and kind of get into the space. What advice would you give to them though? And I know you guys have a, a pretty interesting story I'd love for you to share, but what advice would you give someone that comes out and says, man, you know what, I, I see a need like you saw I need and want to fill it and want to start my own business in the educational space? What advice would you give them?
0: Um man, a lot of that's pretty like generic, I'd say starting a business or startup advice. Um I think, you know, coming at it from a Silicon Valley mentality of like, there's venture capital kind of all around (laughs) us here. Um, One of our earliest decisions, some of the things we had to think about really early on, or I think were really beneficial to think about early on, one, um, finding co-founders that you super, super trust. Uh, And by and large, I would say having co-founders is better than not. Um, And actually, I think we ended up with three people starting a business together. And I thought that was a good number. Yeah. Um, you don't end up with too many like ties in a vote, which is nice, <laughs> makes decision making a little bit more smooth. And, you know, you have other people that you can rely on early on that pre- are primarily working for sweat equity and not cash. Right. Um, and so that's good, too. Um, and then I would say, you know, find a business model sooner rather than later. I know that actually around like, again, kind of venture back startups that that might actually be a little bit unusual. But in education, I think it's so critical because some of these sales cycles can just be really long with a lot of businesses. Ours, thankfully, have been pretty short. So we're able to sign school districts in just three, three and a half months after we meet with them. And so it's pretty quick, but uh, we're in a pretty unique situation because there's not a school in the country that doesn't have some budget for substitute teachers. And frankly, if they don't have 100 percent fill rates, they're not even using the whole budget that they've allocated. Um, So we're able to get those sales cycles down pretty quick, but I would say that that's generally a big problem for education businesses in particular, but also all businesses. And then I think when I think about kind of outside investment and things like that, which I think a lot of people probably try and think about um, or have a desire for, I think it's good to think about what you want the business to be because Uh. taking on outside investment Um, as I'm well aware, includes a lot of expectations that get put on the company and the business. And if you want kind of total control over it, then you either need to not take that outside investment or make sure your investors are pretty aligned with how you want to run the business.
1: So I know you guys, you guys were able to secure investment, correct? I I believe you mentioned earlier. So so how was that experience? And what was that like? I mean, going from this Idea to a company or something running to, you know, I mean, or, you know, when, when did it happen in, in the growth cycle? What was that like?
0: Yeah. So, me and my two co founders have been pretty lucky. So, and like this is just almost in life as much as it is in the starting the business. But, okay. you know, I think we uh, are all luckily have, we're well into our careers. So, had saved some money um, and weren't pressed to kind of make a salary. And then the other thing that kind of helped that along is we all had spouses with like pretty decent paying jobs. Um, since I went to go work for a nonprofit, I'll say I haven't been the breadwinner in my own household in <laughs> quite a few years. Um, and that certainly includes my startup life too. Yep. And so, but it but it's really kind of a luxury when you're starting a business because we were able to kind of get things going before we had to take any outside investment or look for it. So we were actually at almost a $500,000 kind of like gross revenue run rate by the time we started to seek some outside investment. And so we were growing pretty quickly. We went from zero to that 500,000 run rate in about uh, two and a half, three months. Wow, awesome. And then continued to grow that, uh, probably another like two or three X over the next three or four months as we were fundraising, which helped that process go more smoothly. And so I think that's the biggest thing is just like, if you're gonna seek outside investment, got to have a business that's growing because that's the thing that's most attractive.
1: And I know too, you know, obviously we're in a different time now. I think you mentioned Silicon Valley and, you know, uh, being where you are in in San Francisco and that area, there's much more higher access to venture capital. And and I think a lot of people think, well, the only way to grow a business is to get investment or they watch Shark Tank or something like that. Well, it's the only way I'm going to grow. It, yeah. You know, is it the only option, or, or you know, or how does the business know when to do that? Like, how do you know whether, whether as a, a startup, and say, hey, yeah, I should take money or I shouldn't take money, or there's no way I grow without money? Like, how how do you make that decision as a business?
0: Yeah, I I would actually say if you have a way to generate revenue, you almost never actually need to take outside investment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reasons to take outside investment are typically one of two factors. One is if you're just, for some reason, super worried about competition. Um, And if you look at like Uber versus Lyft or, I mean, scooter companies, I mean, that that was just like one, a little bit of a race to the bottom in terms of margins. But if they didn't take the money their competitor was going to, and then you'd just be kind of outgunned. So that is one reason, although I think in education, that's not typically why. Um, the other reason is just to accelerate how quickly you can grow. So if you have what eventually will be a profitable business model, you usually don't need much more than kind of being able to bootstrap a company and then you can fund your own growth. But taking the outside investment can certainly make it go faster. And so I would say at Swing, I mean, I, I, when I transitioned from software engineering into education reform, I just made a decision that like my career was not going to be about money at that point, it was gonna be about what kind of impact I can have on K-12 in America. And to me, taking the money was not about my own kind of like financial well being. taking outside investment was so that I could maybe say I have a big impact on K-12 in America by the time I'm 50 instead of 70. Um, It just meant that we could go faster, we could get to more schools, more districts, more states, more substitute teachers more quickly.
1: So then with that being said, and I know the impact and obviously Substitute Teaching is big. What's what's next for Swing? What's, what do you see as kind of the, the next growth when it comes to you guys as a company? You know, we don't even need to look ahead
0: to, I mean, there are plenty of other staffing, I think, opportunities within education. Um, there's a lot of classified staff. So even just when we already do a lot of that, we've actually helped a lot of schools and districts with, say, front desk staffing, um, all sorts of other kinds of staffing are possible, um, but I, I think actually what's really, really fascinating is the amount of money that schools and districts spend on this kind of subsuit staffing continues to still surprise me even four or five years <laughs> in. Um, and I think that that trends across all industries actually to outsource certain functions, um, I think benefits us in this, in this like current era.
1: Yeah. And what do you think too, I mean, obviously with COVID and with, you know, this change in education and that, you know, I think the remote learning and all that, and and you and I talked a little bit about my background before I've been in the virtual space for a while and knowing like, you know, are we ready for it? Can we do it? And I know you mentioned having kids, like I've been amazed at how well my older kids did online and how bad my younger kids did online. So there's, there's obviously a little bit of gap there, but what do you think the future is though with, distance and remote learning and some of the different things we're seeing? And what impact do you think this forced change will have on education of distance learning?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you some of the things I'm really like hopeful for. Um, One, I hope this just generally gives teachers as a job, as a role that they provide to schools um, a lot more personal flexibility. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I think it's actually like generally pretty unfortunate uh, this notion that, I mean, it's like hard to find time to go to the bathroom as a teacher, let alone like stay home for four hours to like meet the Comcast guy. Um, it's just those kinds of things are so difficult, I think on teachers. And I say that just mainly from teacher friends that I talk to where sometimes I just take for granted going out, popping out for a, a half hour lunch or going to pick up food. Um, so one, I hope it just makes their jobs a little bit more flexible when they're not feeling well, when they have some personal thing that they need to take care of. And I think the solution then is a little bit of this distance learning. Like we know now that actually, I mean, maybe not for one and a half years, but for a day or half a day, it might be fine for kids to be taught in a distance learning way. Yeah, um, It might be fine for a teacher to stay home for a half day or a full day teach primarily from home that day and have a classified staff or other certificated staff come in to sort of do the behavior management piece or help kids through the in-person work. Um, That would be amazing. I think the other thing that I think this shows is also that like, we should really think a little bit more outside the box in terms of what a school year even looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it'd be great right now if most school districts should, would consider extending this school year into summer, because if we don't, this school year is going to be even more lost from an academic outcome standpoint than it than it could, is already. Yep. Um, and so, I, you know, why not think about things like that, um, especially if you're now making teacher jobs more flexible. So I think thinking of those kinds of holistic solutions would be really pretty amazing. And I think it's a possibility that we could get something like that out of this.
1: Yeah, and I agree with you. I think the the ripple effects of for the students we don't know yet. You know, I think I think that, you know yeah. as far as learning gains and things like that. I mean, most students haven't been assessed properly or formally in in, in well over a year now, probably. Um, yeah. But on the same hand, there there's such an ownership of education that I think has happened, um, and I think that's neat to see too. Right? Is like students, you know, and teachers, especially getting creative and teaching over Zoom and and it's just it's really been neat and i think like you said the the goal of the substitute teacher now as well having this other angle of like hey like now it's a team effort right like there's the sub in the room and the teacher on the zoom and you know you know they're really working together which i think is good and it's no longer like just leaving your sub plans and hoping for the best you know (laughs) right right totally
0: yeah i mean yeah there's so much more cooperation that could happen on that front and i think that this is Hopefully, we'll enable some of the thinking around that. I think that would be amazing.
1: Um, I really do. That's awesome. Well, Mike, I, you know, I think I, I don't think we going to end on a higher note than that. This has been super informative. Um, you know, like I said, as someone who got their starting education as a substitute teacher, I love what you guys are doing. Um, and I know too many teachers retire and love to go into substitute teaching. So I think it's it's such a great opportunity to continue to give back to education, both at the root level and the continuing to kind of honor those teachers that are there. So I think what you guys are doing awesome. Uh big hats off to you. If someone's listening, though, and they're like, man, I never heard of this, or I got to tell my school district about this, what's the best way for them to find out more about Swing and, and connect with you?
0: Yeah, SwingEducation.com. Um, and if anyone wants to email me, I'm Mike at SwingEducation.com. So um, happy to take any questions or comments or thoughts anybody has, or if they want us to talk to their school district, of course, we'd welcome that.
1: All right. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, to all of you out there, uh, like you said, SwingEducation.com. Learn more about me, MikeScarrett.com, and more episodes like this to startdown.com. Big shout out to Ryan, Anthony, Robbie, everybody on the back end working on the podcast. Appreciate you guys as well. And I will see you on the next episode. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into this episode of The Startdown. Once again, I am your host, Mike Ficarra. Make sure you visit me at MikeFicarra.com, where you will see links to all my social media, where I'm bringing content like this every day on how you can grow your business and your personal brand. Once again, new episodes drop in every Tuesday. So make sure that you guys like, subscribe, and share the podcast so that you can keep up with what's going on. Once again, appreciate you guys tuning in. I will see you on the next episode of The Startdown.